You are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2021 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the ability to come together and to talk about these things that we have in our modern world. Um, But Lord, none of this is valuable if we don't see a clear picture of you. So we just ask for your presence to be here today. And uh, Lord, we may, may you just shine through um, anything that is said. And uh, Lord, we just want to draw close to you and be ready to see you come in the clouds. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So for most of you, um, how many of you have ever heard of Little Light Studios? Okay, good. I was actually going to assume that I did not need to start at the beginning. Sometimes if people are very unfamiliar with our work, um, it's, it's like jumping in the deep end if I just kind of start in. But I chose a couple of presentations that I wanted to share with you guys. Um, today, I, I titled this presentation, Diamonds Are Forever. Now, does anyone out here like diamonds? It's not a trick question. <laughs> I see a few people like, I don't know if I want to raise. Um, there is nothing inherently evil about a diamond. I'll just tell you that. God created them. And as you will see, there's something beautiful that God has illustrated in the use of diamonds. It's an illustration for our Christian walk. Most of my work that I do, I spend 95% of my time aiming at the teenagers and the college age range of our church. I feel like they're the least spoken to demographic in our church, and I feel like we're losing them like crazy. And so my work is really, if you could distill down what Little Light really is all about, it's how do you see the fingerprint of God in the world around you? The more that you can understand and see God physically in his creation or things around and understand how he works, then when a deception comes along, it's easy to see that as a deception because it's not characteristic of God. Does that make sense? So today, I really want to just give you a window into this beautiful illustration of diamonds. And uh, no, this is not a talk promoting jewelry. Just want to throw that out there. But um, it's a fascinating topic. The word diamond, uh, if you were to just uh, go ahead and Google that and look that up in the dictionary, um, it actually comes from a Greek word, Adamas, and it means unconquerable and indestructible, okay? Unconquerable and indestructible. It's exactly what God wants you to do and to be. So this illustration is a picture of where God wants us to be in our Christian walk. Just keep that in the back of your mind as we go over some of these things, okay? Just to give you an illustration um, of God creating uh, the world with these beautiful jewels. I mean, when we think of heaven, right? I can't wait to walk on these streets to see the glitz and the glamour and the things that God has created. I mean, that's, that's what we use to describe heaven, right? We're going to walk on streets of gold and the gates will be made out of pearls and, you know, the foundation of the city of Jerusalem is all these precious stones, right? God likes precious stones, I want us to just throw that out there. But he did something interesting when he created humans. Listen to what the Bible says in Genesis 2, 10 through 14. When the river flowed out of Eden um, to water the garden, and there it divided and became the four rivers, the name of the first is Pishonan, and the name of the one that flowed around the whole land, Havalia, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good, and the bedellium and the onyx stone are there. And the name of the second river is Gihon. Forgive me if I'm mispronouncing these. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river was Tigris, which flows to the east of Assyria. And the fourth was the river of Euphrates. 
So here in Genesis, that was chapter 2, verses 10 through 14, here it, God is describing what the land looked like. Did you know that there was actually precious stones laying all around the land? Did you know that? It was actually on the surface of the ground all over. And I want to share something with you. Listen to this. Great Controversy, page 81. The precious wood and stone, silver and gold that had made rich and adorned the world before the flood, which the inhabitants had idolized, was sunk beneath the earth at the flood. So this is a picture of when God created the world, there was beautiful things laying all around on the ground, yet when he bent down and he created and formed man out of the ground, why didn't he use stones to put on you? You ever thought of that? Why did God simply make you out of the dust of the ground when he had the access to all these precious things? Because clearly he's not against stones. When he created Lucifer, listen to what Ezekiel 28 verse 13 says. You were in Eden, that garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. You see, God created Lucifer as the most beautiful crowning thing of his creation, and he literally put stones in him. Listen to what Ezekiel says. The sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, all and crafted in gold were your settings and engravings. And listen to this very carefully. On the day you were created, they were prepared. That's what the Bible uses, the word prepared. When God created Lucifer, he placed these stones in him. He prepared them. He fashioned them just like a jeweler, and he put them on the outside of him, and he made him extremely beautiful. Why didn't he do that with you and me? Because of exactly what happened. Lucifer looked at himself, and he said, Wow, look at, look at how amazing I am. And so God was illustrating something very important when he made you and me. He made us out of the dust of the ground, and he said, the value of you is not what's on the outside of you. Very important point. The value of you is that you are made in the very image of God, the very character of God. That's your value. Does that make sense? And don't you find it interesting that in our day and age, since creation, we've been trying to pick up these stones off the ground and we've been trying to put them on as our value. Isn't that interesting? God is not against stones. He's not against diamonds. He's not against jewelry. But he was doing something very special with you and me. When he created us, he wanted us to know that our value is not on the outside it's what's on the inside. So I want to give you a little window into this very interesting substance called a diamond. Um, if you actually uh, look at the value of what a diamond is to us in terms of gold, um, if you had a pound of a diamond versus a pound of gold, that diamond would outweigh that gold by miles. It's a much, much, much more valuable substance than we have gold. And, you know, we always talk about the gold standard or gold is this, and then we kind of compare everything to gold. But in reality, the diamond is a very, very, very precious and expensive thing. But what do we like about diamonds? Why do we like them? There's four things that it takes to make a diamond. And those four elements are um, the way that a diamond is created. Um, the first one is carbon, okay? Almost everything that is living is, is made of carbon, right? Carbon, they call it the building blocks of life. Um, heat is needed to make a diamond. Pressure is needed to make a diamond. And time. So I want you to keep these four elements in your mind. Carbon, pressure, heat, and time. Those four things are what create a diamond. And remember, we're talking about this for the simple illustration of a diamond being an illustration for your Christian walk, okay? Why don't you think about this? What do we need in our, in our Christian walk to shape us? 
pressure, heat. There's some things here that, that, that um, are interesting illustrations. So I'm going to give you a very simple illustration of why a diamond is so powerful and strong. Um, and of course, if you're into organic chemistry or molecular chemistry, um, this is going to be a very simplistic view of what it actually is. But what makes a diamond very, very strong is the way that those carbon molecules form together. They actually form in a uh, lateral way to the other carbon molecules, and they also form vertically in a perfect, like, formation. They, it, it makes it very, very strong. The difference between a carbon molecule and a piece of graphite, you know, something that you would write with your pencil, it's actually made out of the exact same substance. Graphite, there's nothing different with graphite as there is with carbon, except for the way that they bond to each other. Graphite will only bond laterally. It will not bond vertically. And so I want you to think about this because when we as Christians think about everything around us in this bond between our human um, um, counterparts and bond this way with God and us, it's an extremely strong substance. When we don't bond this way and we only bond with each other, we are a very weak substance. Listen to this. This is quite fascinating. Um, I find it very interesting when you look at nature, you can simply observe how God created things, like, like music. I'm fascinated with music. Why, why is music so impactful to all of us? What is it that we really like about music? You see, you get this group of people that come up here with all sorts of different sounds and instruments, right? And they all play together, and it's that playing together that makes something beautiful that we go, ah, oh, we, we, we like that. And the way that those sounds work together, the rhythms that they work together, or the order that those chords are put in, we like that, right? Music is another extension of how heaven works. We're all different. We all work together, and when we work simultaneously together, we make beautiful music. Does that make sense? And it's very interesting. Those of you that are musicians in the room, um, music theory is fascinating to me. When you start studying augmented chords and dissident chords and things that don't resolve into each other, you know how you, you hear a song and you've never heard that song before, but you can hear where it's going. Your mind is anticipating those notes and you want it to resolve into a way. And when it doesn't resolve, it actually causes a little bit of a fringe. Have you, do you, have you recognized that? And, and you know what's very fascinating to me? I, I kind of did a little study on, on um, music and chords and things. Did you know that a police siren is tuned to a dissident sound? That ear, ear, ear actually creates a tension in you, and they do that purposefully. Did you know that? The reason why we like this music to work together is because it's really a little window into heaven. And so when you look at the creation and you say, this is how this element works, like a symbiotic relationship between a bee and a flower, and, and they both work off of each other, that's very, that's very like how, how heaven works, right? We all work with each other. What if the bee went, you know what, I don't really want to work with the flower? What happens to the creation? It falls apart. So the reason why carbon is a... Um, building block of all of life is carbon actually has something that's very unique about the molecule. It likes to share its electrons. And that's what makes it bond well with other things. And that's why it's this, this very um, nice substance. They call this the covalent bond where, where four different atoms, it starts to share with everything. And isn't that a symbol of how God actually wants us to live, right? It's through that selfishness and those things that, that basically, um, you know, I'm not going to share my stuff, and, and, and the whole system starts to break down from there. So listen to what, um, what the Bible says in Genesis 11, verses 6. 
And the Lord said, behold, they are one people. This is when um, God came down and he was observing the um, Tower of Babel that the people had built. And he said, they all have one language. And this is the only the beginning of what they will do. There is nothing that they propose to do that will be impossible for them. The implication, if they work together. You see, the devil recognizes this. He understands that when we bond together, we work together, we bond with God, you will be an indestructible substance. And I find it very interesting when you look at a diamond. This is the reason for its strength. You know, Jesus, when he was here with his disciples, how many of you have actually seen the, the Chosen series? Anybody seen this? Isn't that kind of fascinating? You know, uh, I'm very leery of any kind of media production that, that someone will do, especially if it's about Jesus. Like, that's the one thing I don't want people messing with that picture in my mind of who Jesus is. Um, I remember uh, I watched the whole book of John, you know, the one that's like word for word of John, right? And then they have the other one that's like Matthew, and it's word for word of the Bible. And I can remember when I first started working in ministry, I pulled out my Bible, and I was like, I'm going to see where these guys are airing. It was word for word. But something struck me when I watched that. John, to me, as he was walking around, you brood of vipers and this and that, the actor portrayed Jesus in a way that I did not picture Jesus while reading the book of John. Did anybody else have that experience? It was a little bit more on the harsh side. And when you read the book of John, it's a very loving approach, and, and he really drew out this picture of God that was a very loving picture. And so the way that that actor portrayed Jesus I couldn't get that out of my head when I would read the book of John. I would see this, this particular uh, actor's presentation of it. Now, I'm, I'm not saying this to like scare you off of The Chosen. I think I've been blessed by that. My family's watched that. We've had a lot of discussions about that. Um, yes, there are some things in there when they talked about um, somebody had died and, and Jesus made a comment that they were looking down from heaven. And, you know, there's a few things like this that you need to be aware of. It's not coming from a, a similar perspective. But... Um, for the most part, I think it was, was a good thing. So um, the reason I mentioned that, when uh, Jesus was, was working with the disciples, the thing that I thought that they drew out of the chosen was how all the disciples didn't really jive together. Did you notice that? And how interesting, like they didn't like Matthew and, and uh, they were really, you know, he's a tax collector. This guy's weird, you know. And, and the way that they portrayed that, I think, was very realistic to what it was probably like. When you read those stories of the, of the, of the disciples, I mean, God, I think, purposefully picked people that he knew would represent all of us. The skeptic. The guy who's the good-looking guy, like Judas, he looks the part. He looks like the guy that, that should have been the disciple, yet he was the one that deceived or was deceived and, and sold out Jesus. So, you know, when Jesus prayed in the very end uh, of John 17, verses 20 through 23, he says, I do pray that these alone be also for those that will believe in me through their word that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and that, you, that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. You see, Jesus' prayer for us is that we are unified, one, bonded together with one singular purpose and one mind for God, just like God was bonded with, with Jesus. How about fire? Let's talk about fire for a second. You need fire to create a diamond. And fires are very interesting. Um, Paradise, California, I don't know if you guys remember seeing in the news, um, that was actually my hometown. In fact, I lived in Paradise, and I moved away from Paradise. I now live in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and I moved two years before that fire happened. So I watched, my wife and I watched that fire happen on the news, and it was just shocking to me. Fire does weird things to people. I mean, it really does. If you've known anybody that's lost their house in a fire or something like this, it's really a strange thing um, to observe. 
But the Bible talks a lot about fire. God is a consuming fire, it says in Hebrews um, 12, 29. In Jeremiah 23, verse 29, it says, Is not my word like a fire, declares the Lord, like a hammer that breaks the rock into pieces? God is constantly using this reference of fire in a purification of our faith, right? Listen to this. Peter 1, verse 7 says, So that the tested and genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes through the test, though it is tested by fire, that it may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Have you ever been through a fire in your life? Have you ever had some traumatic experience? Sometimes you want to cry out and say, Lord, why is this happening? What is this, this tribulation happening to me? I'm doing everything that, that you're asking me to do. I'm wanting to dedicate my life to you, and yet these tragic things are happening to me again and again and again. You know, I, I, I kind of actually have grown to um, question, am I doing something right when I don't have anything wrong? Have you, have you come to that point? I mean, I'm telling you, I have, I have never been so like up and down and left and right working in ministry. I was, I was never like that in real life, working in any job. I've never cried as many tears as I've cried working in ministry life. And you know what? It's purifying my walk with God. The more that I realize how dangerous this world is, the closer I want to walk and run to Jesus. I hope that is same for you. In 1 Corinthians 3.13, it says, Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work everyone has done. You know, my work with young people is very interesting because there's a disconnect with, with what they are watching on TV and what they are learning in church. It's fake. We know there's no superheroes. We know those things don't exist. So how can it actually impact and affect my life? But many of these young people have come to us again and again and again and said, yeah, but superheroes have inspired me for something greater. Yes, if they've inspired you for something greater, can they also inspire you for something worse? You have to think about that. It cannot be only fair on one side of the fence, but not on the other. If it can impact you for positive, it can impact you for negative. And so we want people to, to think about that. God is coming. He's going to test what kind of Christian we actually are. So fire in your life is not necessarily always a bad thing. What happens, what do you do with that fire is really what God is preparing us to, to shape our Christian walk. I remember hearing a story when I was in, um, when I was watching this stuff in paradise. And uh, there was a lady that was working at the Adventist hospital. And as the fire started getting more intense and all the little roads that were going outside of paradise were starting to get blocked up, the hospital was really one of the last places that they started evacuating. They had a lot of firemen that were protecting the uh, hospital. They had brought all the patients out onto one of the little pads, and the fire was all around in 360-degree views. And it was intense, like you can only imagine what hell would, 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 would look like. And this lady... She got on the phone with her husband, and she called her husband, and she said, I don't think that I'm going to make it, and I'm, I, I don't know what to do. I'm, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm scared, and I'm just telling you goodbye. And her husband said, don't you ever stop running. You don't give up. You run through the forest if you want to get out of here. You run. You do not submit to this. And so she listened to her husband. And as all of the traffic was backing up, she, her car got stopped and she was not able to proceed forward. She got out of the car and the intense smoke that was there, she was literally um, couldn't see. The embers were burning her eyes. And she was going from car to car and she would open up the car doors as she would hear them and she would duck inside just to get a breath. And she would shut the door and she'd walk down the road like that until she finally came to what she felt was a fire truck. 
And as she got in the front of the fire truck, she said, oh my goodness, this is, this is a fire truck. And she started screaming and the fireman jumped out of the truck. And as she got in the truck, they had fire blankets on all the windows. And then she heard over the walkie, the firemen talking and they said, we're not gonna make it. She said, what do you mean we're not gonna make it? You're the fire department. She said, we're not gonna make it. She said she peeked out the window and it was as far as you could see fire just burning in every direction. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a person on a bulldozer came ripping over the hill, pushing cars in and out of the way and cleared a path. And he's in a metal bulldozer blowing the cars out of the way so that they could continue the traffic forward. And I remember when I heard that story, I went, you know what? That person that was on that bulldozer probably had no idea that he had that kind of bravery inside of him. It wasn't until the fire was blazing and he said, if I'm going to go out, I'm going to go out saving people. If there's a fire in your life, brothers and sisters, run to Jesus. Run, because he's trying to prepare your character for something big and beautiful. Listen to what Isaiah 48.10 says, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, be not surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. I think these are encouraging words. This is the one concept that I try to instill in in kids all the time. Brothers and sisters, we don't always have the answer why things happen to us the way that we do. There's abuses and things that I've heard over my course of the ministry world that would just make you break down in tears what some people have to experience. There's no rhyme or reason. But brothers and sisters, God has an answer why those things are happening. He's shaping our characters. What do we do with it? Do we let it define us or do we let it build our characters? Pressure is another thing that creates a diamond. You need an incredible amount of heat that produces it to be pure, but pressure also plays a big part in that. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Pressure is one of the things that we should experience if we are truly walking in God's ways. In fact, if I understand what's happening in the end of the world, and the reason why I'm starting out this week with talking about this subject is because as we kind of get progressed through the week, brothers and sisters, it's about ready to get strange. Are you ready for this? I'm not kidding. Are you ready for this? Have you been paying attention to what our government is even saying and and the things that are coming out with, with their communicating with extraterrestrials and these aliens are real and they're here and they're talking to us? Brothers and sisters, it is about to get very, very weird. Are you ready? Because as that pressure builds, remember, those that are following in God's truce and those lines, the world is going to turn on. How do we handle that? How do we, how do we deal with that pressure? I believe in the same way that Jesus did, and that's the word of God. John 16, I have said these things to you that you may have peace. For the world, you, in this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You see, God has overcome it. He understands what it's like for us to go through these experiences. You know, one of the things that I feel most impressed about, um, our ministry has, has really uh, found our legs on YouTube. YouTube is really an underutilized resource for our church. What I like about YouTube is we get to engage with people. So we can actually communicate with them. They can communicate with us. They can ask us questions. We We can then dialogue with them, and it turns into a discipleship situation where we can say, hey, we brought up a topic of the Sabbath. Sometimes they'll be like, well, what about the Sabbath? How did you get to that? Well, I thought everybody goes to church on Sunday. What's the problem here? And you can now steer them and say, hey, well, listen to this ministry. Watch this. Read this. Look at this Bible study. And you can actually lead them in a way. And you know what's interesting to me? 
We have all these things in our world that, that everybody thinks is fun. Do you know how much depression our young people are struggling with? It is mind-boggling. I mean, the rate of suicide. There's a few documentaries that were put out this last year that deal with the topic of social media. And I remember seeing some graphs that they showed in this social media. And you can see a direct link from the second they introduced social media into our environment in the early 2000s and the amount of depression that young people feel. It's a direct link. And people are like, you know, recognizing some of these buzzwords, but yet we have a hard time talking with our young people. If you see a young person and you see that they are down, not engaged, just go up and give them a hug. You know, it would be mean the world to them if you just engage with them at any level. Young people are, are a passion of our ministry, and uh, I just feel a burden for them. Psalms 118, 5 through 6 says this, Out of my distress I called on the Lord, and the Lord answered and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? You know, as you read these prophetic stories, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing in that fiery furnace, right? Pressure all around. Pressure to bow down when everybody else is, knowing that the decision that they just made is going to cost them their life. And I love how they answered it. Nebuchadnezzar comes up to them and is like, you know, do you guys need some time to think about this? Because what you say next may cost you your life. And they said, oh no, king, we don't need to think about this. In fact, we've already thought about it. And whatever happens, our God is able to save us. But if he doesn't, know this, O king, we will not bow down to you. That, brothers and sisters, is how you want our young people to stand up in this precious time. Listen to what Proverbs 24.10 says. If you faint in the day of your adversity, your strength is small. <laughs> I can't wait to meet Solomon. He must have a sense of humor. I think it's interesting that he, being the smartest and most intelligent person that the Bible describes, there's been none other like him. Look at how much he struggled. Intelligence is not going to save you. Information is not going to save you. You know what saves you? A relationship with God. And when you, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, understand how God works, you don't even care what the outcome is like. They can put all the pressure on you and you say, it doesn't matter. I will not bow down. That, brothers and sisters, is a belief that they have solid in their mind. Listen to what the, another angle um, of how a diamond is formed is time. You have to have time. So you need fire, you need pressure, you need carbon, and the last element is you need time. It takes an amount of time for this to happen. Colossians 1.10 says, So as to walk in the manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit and every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. I'm speaking to you young at heart, but maybe perhaps elderly in the room. The more that you draw close to God, do you have the realization that the less you actually know? I'm constantly coming to that realization. That the more that I engage with God, the more that I, I, I dig deep, the, the, the more I pull that shovel out and I just keep going deeper and deeper, the more I'm sitting there going, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. You know, like those four beans that are around God and all they can utter out of their mouth is, you are holy, you are holy, you are holy. Have you ever wondered about that? Like, that's all they say, you are holy, you are holy continually, right? Like, like, like you have nothing else to say? Think about this. What if they were getting a fresh revelation of God every five seconds and their mind is going, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. God, you are, the best place to be is right next to God. And the only thing that you could utter is, oh, wow, you are holy and amazing. The closer you draw to God, it takes time it takes time to develop that, but you should ever be increasing in that knowledge with God.
Psalms 34, 13, and 14 says, Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good and seek peace and pursue it. I like this verse for this reason. If you simply listen to, to some of the things that David said, and you apply that to our modern world, right? Seek things that are good, wholesome, pure, those kind of things, right? That throws out 95% of our modern movies, right? Why are we so attracted to darkness, evil? If you don't watch movies or television for a while, and it's been a while since I've sat down and watched anything mainstream, and it's like you watch two seconds of it, and you're like, whoa, this is so dark and evil. Have you noticed that? The more that we focus on things that are good, I would employ you to, to listen to this advice and turn away from things that are evil and pursue things that are good. First Timothy 6.11 says, But as for you, O man, flee from these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfast gentleness. If you simply listen to that advice, it would steer you clear of many things that we have in our world that would distract you. 1 Timothy 4, 7 says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Have you ever heard that verse before? Well, there goes all your superheroes, right? Right out the window. Have nothing to do with those silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness. Things that God is like. Things that that would impress you to be like God. I have a simple illustration. I remember reading a study one time that was in Time Magazine. They did a 10-year study on celebrity worship. And in fact, they followed all these people that would follow these celebrities through and through. They would read their, their articles. They would buy their magazines. They would watch their movies. They would obsess over these people. And the one thing that came out of this 10-year study that they did was that the more that you focused on that celebrity, the more you were able to take on their characteristics in yourself, and you would be just like them. I find that very fascinating. Because you know what? The more you focus on Jesus, the more you read about him, the more you want to know him, the more you see how he works, the more you study the things that he's created, the more you appreciate him and the more you want to be like him. If we can honestly say, I spend more time watching this movie or playing this video game or anything else, we're going to be more like that thing. Does that make sense? Here's something that's interesting. I, I kind of wanted you to see this. As I was looking into to diamonds, I found it very interesting. There's a, there's a website. I was curious, how is a diamond determined its value? Like, what actually makes this a valuable substance? And there's a website that they're basically judging all of this from, and it's called the GIA, G-I-A. And it's a standardized way for them to, to determine the value of this rock. And so that if everybody's on that page, then they're, they're basically having a universal way to determine this value. That's what the purpose of, of having a system like this is. And listen to this. I found this just very, very fascinating. It says right on the front page of the website, every diamond is unique. Every diamond. There are not two diamonds that are the same. I said, hmm, that's interesting because we humans are all unique, right? So look at some of these interesting parallels. Romans 12, 4 through 5 says, as we are all one body, we have um, many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, through many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. I'm telling you this because I've learned something in ministry that I want to share with you. When I first started in ministry, I remember I came out guns blazing, ready to see all the deceptions all over the place, and if you were in part of a ministry and you weren't doing what I was doing, then I would be like, you know, hey, I don't really care for that ministry because they're not doing what I was doing, and you know what? God rebuked me. 
And he said, what if, I did, what if I called that ministry and they're not supposed to do what you're doing? And it really opened up my mind. And I said, you know what? We are all different and unique in a variety of ways. And God uses a variety of means to reach us. And maybe something that worked for you will not work for you and vice versa. And so who am I to say exactly how it's supposed to be done? I had a guy that called up our ministry and he had seen one of our projects on superheroes. And so he called up our ministry and he said, hey, I I have a podcast and I'd like to um, interview you on my podcast about superheroes. Um, I find it very fascinating, the research that you guys have done. And um, I'm actually a big fan of of superheroes and I wonder if you'd come on and talk about it. So I was like, sure, I'll do that. I mean, I came prepared. I had the Bible verses. I had my computer out. I was going to tear this guy up. Show him exactly why you should not be paying attention to superheroes. And as, as we started the podcast, he asked me, so how did you get into this? And so I launched into this big old story. Oh, I was part of Hollywood. I worked there for 10 years. I saw all this evil, blah, 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 blah. And God woke me up and brought me to this point, And that's why I have this view that I have. And so he went around and he kind of shared with each of us that were on the podcast. And then it was his turn. He's wearing a Spider-Man hat, by the way. So I'm like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this guy some information, right? And he goes, I'll tell you what, Spider-Man saved my life. He said, I'm, and he pulled up his hand, and he had a withered hand. And he said, when I was two years old, I had a stroke, and this side of my body does not work. And he, he goes, I grew up in, 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 a, in a household that uh, when I was sent to school, I was beat up. I was bullied. I was thrown out of a two-story building. Literally, I hated every ounce of my body. I could not stand that I was even existing. And when I was in high school, I was ready to commit suicide. And on the day that I was going to do it, I was looking at a comic book, and I saw Spider-Man, and I saw Jesus in Spider-Man. I went like this. And it was all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just just said, listen, just listen to him. And he said, I'll tell you what, I agree with you. I think this is the most unholy stuff that you could ever watch. And he said, I'll tell you what, I asked God when he saved me and he turned my heart around. He said, how can I reach those people that were just like me and immersed in this thing? And he said, I want to go to these comic conventions and talk to these kids that would never click on your video and watch your YouTube channel. And I want to show them Jesus from this context. And he said, I don't want to encourage them to watch it. I just want to use it to reach people for Jesus. And I just went, Lord, rebuke me. Lord, have mercy on me. It's not the way that I would ever encourage anybody. I would never tell somebody to start a ministry that does this. But he had a point. He was able to reach people that I could never, ever reach. And since then, I've just backed up and I said, I can share my perspective with you, but it's the Holy Spirit that needs to convict you. And I just encourage people all the time, if you see a ministry that says something different or contrary to you, as long as it's biblically correct, I mean, I'm not talking about if they're way erroneous or off, ask the Holy Spirit to convict their hearts. Sometimes I think we get in the way of his work sometimes. Listen to this in this this website where they judge a diamond here. It says diamond professionals use a grading system that tells the importance of the diamonds. And they actually judge the diamond on four different things. Clarity, color, cut, and carat weight. Okay, so the more that that diamond is clear, it increases the value more. The more that that diamond is pure, the more that our society deems that thing valuable. The less pure, the less valuable. Isn't that interesting? 
And so then as I kind of started to understand, well, how are they actually determining whether one is like pure or one is not? Get this, this about blew me out of the water. They have a thing called a master stone. And in this master stone, they take all the other diamonds and they judge it against the master stone. Wow. And the more pure that that stone is, the more valuable it is to us. I just went, Lord, your, your, your whole plan is written in your creation. I mean, it's literally in front of us. If you just pick it up, how do you see that? The reason I wanted to share this message with you is because I believe that we are entering into a time and age that discernment is becoming more and more difficult. Do you agree? I mean, it's mind-boggling to me that people cannot see what is right in front of their eyes. But you know what, brothers and sisters? The very people that understood the Bible the most, the Pharisees, were able to look at Jesus, the very person that was doing these miracles, and say, how dare you do this in the name of Beelzebub? They called Jesus satanic. How can a religious person see that? And then all of a sudden, the woman at the well, who doesn't even see the miracles, doesn't even see what Jesus is capable of, literally hears words come out of his mouth and says, you are the Son of God. She didn't see a miracle. He just spoke to her, and she believed him. That's, that's what I believe. We're coming into a day and age that, brothers and sisters, our eyes are going to get deceiving. How do we choose and how do we pick that discernment? How do we know what's good and what's bad? And, and the reason I feel passionate about something like this is if you can't discern a simple movie, if you can't look at a simple movie and distinguish whether it's good or bad for you, how are you ever going to discern a deception that Satan has had six and a half, six thousand years of perfecting that? No way. So I believe that the only way is just like Jesus discerned when Satan came to tempt him. You know, when we depict this in the modern media, we often put a hooded character on, right? That's how, we, that's how we display it. And we, we, we have this character that's snaking through the, the, the area and, and being like, you know, so do you want to turn these stones into bread? No way, it wasn't like that. He showed up as an angel of light. In fact, Jesus had not recognized him immediately until he spoke. If you are the Son of God, and then Jesus went, hold on, back up in the story. He just heard the voice of God say, if you are the Son of God, this is my Son who I am in well pleased. Jesus understood and knew if this person was from God, he would have known that God affirmed him, and he all of a sudden said, I recognize you. I know who you are. That level of discernment only comes from knowing the Word of God, studying what the master stone is like. 1 Peter 2, 5-8 through 8 says, You yourselves, like living stones, are built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him would not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. You see, that stone that we are to compare everything to, we don't want to be caught rejecting that. And I don't believe that the Pharisees were ignorant of who Jesus was. Remember when the three wise men, I don't even know, know if it's three, we always say three, right? When the wise men showed up to Herod and they said, who is this? Where is this king that is supposed to be born? Those, those religious rulers of the day, they went straight to scriptures and they said, oh, he's supposed to be in Bethlehem. Around this time, they were not ignorant that there was something amazing that should have happened around this time. Listen to this Bible commentary. God spends time on jewels. We are God's workmanship. The value of the human agent depends wholly upon the polishing that it receives. 
When the rough stones are prepared for the building, they are to be taken into the shop, hewed and squared, and the process is often sharp as the stone is pressed down upon the wheel. But the rough coarseness is being removed, and the luster begins to appear. The Lord spends not his time upon worthless material, only his jewels are polished after the similitude of a palace. Every soul must be only every soul must not only submit to this work of the divine hand, but must be put to the tax every spiritual sinew and muscle, that the character may become more pure in the words more helpful the actions of God can approve. You know what's very interesting? As we're closing here, I want to read this to you. You know why a diamond is attractive to us? Do you know what the actual real reason is? The more that it's cut, the more that it's polished, the better it can reflect the light. Do you know what it's doing with that light? You know why we always look at a diamond and we go, oh, it's so pretty, it's got all these colors. What does Jesus look like? He has the rainbow over him. You know what happens when you shoot white light through a diamond, a rainbow appears. Brothers and sisters, our purpose is to become pure. In fact, our purpose is to be in the hands of God to allow him to cut off those things that make us rough, those things that make us impure. And the more cuts that he makes, the more brilliantly we will reflect his light. The diamond in and of itself does not emit light. It reflects it. We are supposed to be those stones polished after a similitude of a palace. That is why I believe so strongly in not engaging in evil media. Let's bow our heads. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to be in your hands, your workmanship that produces those beautiful stones. Lord, we want to become the most hard and indestructible substance. Though the world fall around us, we may stand aright. So Lord, teach us in this day and age how to keep our eyes on you so fully that the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org slash audio2021 or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcast.